Lord Jesus, we thank you for another Lord's Day, another Sunday to, to come together as your people and to hear your word and to worship you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would send your spirit and that you would fulfill your promise to work in us through your word. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're continuing in our series through Titus and 2 Timothy. And so I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Titus 1. And we're picking up where we left off last week with Titus chapter 1. Um, and we're going to start at verse 5 and go through verse 9. And so as you're turning there, just uh, by way of review, remember that last week we were dealing with the first few verses of Titus where Paul is introducing himself and is introducing his sort of his purpose and his mission. And we saw that, that Paul said that he was a servant of God in general, but that more specifically, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, which means that he has been sent with the authority of Christ to come plant churches, to speak the revelation of God, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus the Savior. Okay, So that's, that is what Paul's doing. That's what he's been doing throughout his whole life, throughout his ministry. And as I mentioned last week and talked a little bit more deeply a few weeks ago, when we're looking at the epistle of Titus, uh, we're looking at one of the last epistles that Paul wrote in his ministry. Okay? Uh, Paul wrote Titus as well as First and Second Timothy um, after he was imprisoned in Rome at the end of the book of Acts. Okay? So we're talking much later in his ministry. These are the last sort of the final years that Paul has on this earth ministering as an apostle. And one of the things that he's trying to do as he is sort of writing his, his last few writings is he is consistently thinking about the church. Right? And he's thinking about how the church needs to operate since the apostles are starting to die off and they're becoming less and less and pretty soon there won't be any more apostles. Because the apostles were sort of, they were running the show very early on because they were the authoritative messengers from Christ. They had a very specific function. But once those apostles ceased, once we stopped having apostles in the church, now Paul was thinking, okay, we need to start making sure that the church is up and running and that our churches understand how they're to be structured and how they are to be governed. And so that's why in these epistles, here in Titus, especially in 1 Timothy, but also in 2 Timothy, we have Paul laboring the qualifications for elders and deacons and just giving us much wisdom about how the church is to be run under Christ's authority. And so that's the subject that Paul turns to now, immediately after introducing himself. So here in Titus 1, beginning with verse 5, he's going to begin to tell us something about the elders of a church. And so we see here a couple of things. Number one, we're going to see the nature of an elder, as Paul is teaching us a little bit about that in verse 5. But then in verses 6 and following, we learn about the qualifications for an elder. And within all of this, as I read the text in just a second, just note that even though we're talking a lot about elders and church officers in our series, particularly this morning, right, don't think that, that means that if you're not an elder, that you have nothing to learn from this. It doesn't mean that, that we can just sort of zone out if we're not immediately an elder, because there's actually a lot of things right here to teach all of God's people. A lot of things about church offices in general, but also a lot of stuff about the nature of the church and how the church operates. So, with all of that in mind then, 
Let's look at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and I'll read those for us. Now, on account of this, I left you in Crete, so that those things left undone you might set in order, and you might appoint in every city elders, just as I myself commanded you. If anyone is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not open to a charge of debauchery or disobedience. For it is necessary that the overseer be blameless as the household manager of God, not selfish, nor quick to anger, nor a lover of wine, nor violent, nor greedy, but hospitable, a lover of good, wise, righteous, holy, and disciplined, holding fast to the word which is according to the teaching of the faith, so that he may be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who speak against it. And so you can see that in this passage there is, you know, frankly quite a long laundry list of various sort of characteristics of the elder. Okay? And we'll, we'll walk through those in a second. Um, some of them we'll spend more time on than others. But I want to focus first on verse 5. Because uh, it's verse 5 where, where Paul officially begins the letter. And in verse 5, Paul is actually teaching us quite a bit about the nature of an elder in the church. And you notice here that as he speaks to Titus, he gives him a couple of commands. He says, on account of this, I left you in Crete, that is Titus, so that those things left undone you might set in order and you might appoint in every city elders, just as I have commanded you. Okay? Now, there is a, a number of things that are going on in that verse. But just by way of background, notice that word there that Paul uses when he says that you are to appoint elders. You see that word elder there? The Greek word behind that word is the word presbyteros. And you can think for a second, right? Because that sounds a lot like Presbyterian. See, we actually, we get some stuff from Scripture in the Presbyterian Church. And one of the things is the name, right? So we are called a Presbyterian Church because we are a church that is ruled by elders. All right? That's what presbyteros means, is elder. And one of the things that we see in Scripture is that an elder is called an elder, not, not necessarily because of age, right? Because, for example, Timothy is an elder. We'll learn that later. But Timothy is young. Paul says not to let people look down on him for his youthfulness. So the word elder does not necessarily correspond to age. But rather, what the, the title there is seeking to communicate is that the office of elder is for the spiritually mature. Right? It's, it's the, the goal is to communicate maturity, right? understanding, wisdom. That's the biblical notion behind elder. And one of the things we'll actually do later on is we'll look more carefully at the concept of the elder in the Old Testament. Because believe it or not, the church office of elder doesn't pop into existence out of nowhere. There actually is a lot of precedent in the Old Testament, which we'll spend time on later. But the point here is that elder, that title, is specifically referring to the spiritual maturity of the individual, at least ideally. That's what it's pointing to. But you'll notice there's actually another title for the elder that Paul uses in verse 7. He says, it is necessary for the overseer to be blameless. 
Now, when Paul is speaking in verse 7, he's not talking about a totally different office. He's still talking about the same office. But rather now, he uses a different term in verse 7, overseer. And some of your translations, if you're using particularly older ones, might translate that as bishop. And the reason for that is because the Greek word behind there is episkopos, which means overseer. And that's where we get our English word bishop. But the idea here is not that there's two offices, an elder and a bishop, but Paul's using two different terms to refer to the same office. Because the office of presbyter, or the office of elder, that title, that's describing the internal characteristics of the individual, so sort of the qualifications of what that person should be. And then you have this title, overseer, that is describing not the internal characteristics, but rather the external responsibilities. Because what the presbyter is supposed to do, what the elder is supposed to do, is not to simply be something, namely spiritually wise and discerning and understanding, but the elder is also supposed to be an overseer, one who governs a congregation, who leads the congregation. And so you can see there Paul is flipping back and forth between these two terms. And he does this in many other places of Scripture. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, we see this happening in the book of Acts. These are not separate offices. These are one office. And the different labels help us understand the nature of the office. So that's why I'm just pointing those out here. So that when we read that Titus was supposed to appoint elders in every city, we actually understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about a church office of great spiritual wisdom for the individual, as well as overseeing the congregation. And you can see something else that Paul is indicating here as he's telling Titus to appoint these elders. He says, you shall appoint elders in every city. Literally in the Greek, it says, according to the city. And the reason for that is because usually in this time in in early church history, you had each city have one church. So when he's saying appoint elders in each city, what he's saying is appoint elders in the church in every city. And notice how he says appoint elders, plural. You see that? Plural. So it's not that each church has one elder. But the idea that Paul is saying here is that each church has a plurality of elders, more than one. So that each church in terms of the people who are exercising spiritual wisdom and the people who are overseeing the congregation, those people are not one person, but they are a multitude of persons. So there are many elders being appointed in each city. And that's something that we see not just here in Titus, but we actually see this much more clearly in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 14, verse 23, this is what Luke records for us. He says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So there you can see Luke is actually using the exact same language as Paul here. But Luke says that they were appointing elders, plural, in every city. Okay, or sorry, in every church, in every church. Um, We can see this also in Acts 20 when Paul speaks to all of the elders of the Ephesian church. There's one church in Ephesus, but there were lots and lots of elders that Paul was speaking with. So it probably was a fairly large church. But in any case, 
we can see in the scriptures, the way that the governing of the church is set up is that there is a plurality of elders who are charged with spiritual wisdom and discernment, and they are to oversee what is going on in the congregation. Okay? That's what Paul is teaching us here in somewhat of a brief fashion, but by grabbing the other places of scripture, we can bring them in here and see that Paul's actually got a whole lot of stuff going on here to teach us about. Okay, so that's just a little background on the nature of the elder. Now let's look more carefully at what Paul is saying in verse 5. So he says that he left Titus in Crete, namely in the church in Crete, so that those things which are left undone he might set in order and so that he might appoint elders in every city. So you can see there's two things that Paul has left Titus to do. Number one is to set things in order. And this is where we can draw a very important principle from Paul's teaching on the church. Something that's very, very relevant for all of us. Paul, when he speaks about the church, is very, very concerned about order. Very concerned about order. And just to give you an example of this, you don't need to turn there. But if you were to turn to 1 Corinthians 14, in verse 40, Paul says, Let all things be done decently and in order. And the context of what Paul is saying there is he is commanding that the churches do things in order, not with good order. The context of that is worship. He's instructing the Corinthian church how to worship. And he's saying, guys, when you worship, do it decently and in order. It should not be a chaotic enterprise to worship God. It should not be unthoughtful where we are just spontaneously exploding with whatever we feel in the moment. No, the worship of God needs to be done decently and in order. And what's even more ironic about what Paul's talking about in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is that that is the famous chapter where Paul is going through and he is sort of, sort of categorizing and giving instructions on how to use the charismatic gifts of the Spirit that were present in that early church. That's where Paul, right before he says this about doing things decently and in order, he is telling that church, hey, if you're speaking in tongues, that's awesome. But here's the thing. If you do that, only two or three of you are to do it, and you need to have an interpreter. And you can just imagine what those people in the church were thinking. They're like, but Paul, I have the Holy Spirit. I should be able to prophesy whenever I want. I should be able to speak in tongues whenever I want. Paul says, yep, I get that. But we will only have two or three do it, and it will be in order, and you'll have to have an interpreter. But Paul, I have the gift of the Holy Spirit. I understand that. But everything will be done decently and in order. You can see what Paul's doing there. He is saying, even with the radical charismatic worship that was happening in the early church, with speaking in tongues and prophesying and miracles and all of these amazing things that were happening to testify to the gospel, Paul is saying, look, guys, all things will be done decently and in order. See, Paul cares about order in worship. He cares that things be carefully structured and thought through, not a random explosion of spontaneous urges. And so we can see here that not only in worship, particularly in corporate worship, are things to be ordered, but Paul is saying here that Titus is to set in order all of the things that Paul has left undone. Titus is here sort of overseeing the task of putting the church into good order. 
And that's an important principle that we want to remember when we're thinking about the church in its various works and ministries, particularly when we're thinking about worship. And we don't have to just turn to Paul for these kinds of principles. We can turn to the Old Testament. Because we can see that all of Old Testament worship was so carefully and precisely laid out according to God's command. We as humans do not get to be innovators in the church, nor do we get to be innovators in worship. We do what God says, not what we want. But what's amazing is that when we do what God says, we find that our will corresponds to what He wants. And when we do what God wants, we find that we begin to love what he wants. That's the amazing paradox and blessing of following God. So that's the first thing that Titus has to do here in the church, to set things in order. Secondly, he is to appoint elders. And we talked a little bit about this already. Right? We know what an elder is, right? the chief office of the church for uh, spiritual leadership and, and uh, overseeing and all of that. But what's kind of interesting here is notice that Titus is commanded to appoint elders. And it's at this point that we have to exercise caution. And we have to remember to use scripture to interpret scripture. Because Paul here in this passage is not saying that Titus was vested with some kind of special overarching authority by which he could go and impose elders on congregations in the cities in Crete. That is not what Paul is saying here. Because if we were to turn to other passages in Scripture, we would find that church officers are not appointed in the sense of some certain figure casting officers onto a church and forcing them into churches. But rather, when we see in other places of Scripture, we find that church officers are voted in by popular election. So look, for example, you don't need to turn here, but I'll just read this for you. Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, we learn about the very first church officers that we have recorded that are being voted into office. And here's what he says. This is Luke recording these things for us. He says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, There is no reason that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, choose from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paraminas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And so you can hear from, as I read that passage, when the church needed to appoint deacons, what did they do? Did they say, appoint for us deacons? No. It was done by popular election. The church chose men who they thought would fit the position. Men that they knew. Men that they trusted. Right? That's what we see in scripture so often. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Right? We learn that Timothy was ordained by the laying on of hands of the presbyterion. What does that word sound like? 
That sounds a lot like the presbytery, right? Because that's what a presbytery is. It is a gathering of elders. And we're here in 1 Timothy 4. Timothy was ordained to his position as pastor by the laying on of the hands of the elders. So we can see there as we're sort of putting various scripture passages together, church officers are elected into their positions by the congregation, and then they are installed and ordained by the laying on of hands of the elders. And so we see those principles throughout Scripture. We could go through a whole lot of other passages which we don't have time to do this morning. But my point is, in light of all of that information that we gather from other places in the New Testament, what does Paul mean here when he says that Titus was supposed to appoint elders in the churches in every city? And the idea here that Paul's getting at is not that Titus had a sovereign ability to impose elders on churches. But what Paul's talking about here is he's talking about the overseeing process of installing elders into churches. That is, if you want to put it into sort of modern terms, we could say that Titus was chairman of the ordination committee. That's a very Presbyterian way to put things, right? Titus was chairman of the ordination committee. That is, Titus was to oversee the process and making sure that all of these churches are getting the elders that they need to make sure that these things are happening, to inform the congregations of the steps that they need to take in order to get these men into their uh, positions. And so that's what we have going on here. Paul is, in a certain sense, sort of recording Titus's overall responsibility to be someone to make sure the churches understand that they need to get these things into effect. Okay? So that's what Paul's talking about here. Again, that's a little bit difficult to figure out if you're not carefully in tune to what's going on in other places of Scripture. And that's why we come back to that important principle. Scripture interprets Scripture. We use the more clear passages to interpret the less clear passages. And that's what we have to do sometimes. All right. So that's the nature of the elder. You can see spiritually mature and overseer. And you can see that Titus here is commanded to make sure that these churches are having elders because of how important they are. So you can see those two important principles at work here. But it's in verse 6 that Paul begins to elaborate on the qualifications for the elder. And it's here, we don't have a ton of time to spend walking through each of these because, I mean, frankly, this could be like its own series in itself, walking through each of these qualifications. But I want to highlight a couple of them here that are really important just for grasping the big picture of what the church officer is supposed to do. And the one I want to really focus on here is in verse 6 where he says that elders need to have faithful children. You can see there in verse 6 he says, If anyone is blameless, the husband of one wife, and has faithful children not open to a charge of debauchery or disobedience. Now, speaking of the children, that the children are not open to a charge of debauchery or disobedience. Now, what's going on there? Well, there's there's some controversy about exactly how to understand that particular verse. And some translations will translate that as having believing children. In other words, that the idea here is that the pastor or the elder needs to have all of his children as believers. Otherwise, he's not qualified for the position. Now, that that is contextually possible. 
Because Paul uses here the adjective form of the word faith. The children have faith. But one of the things to remember is that that word faith does not always correspond to faith in Christ. Sometimes the faith is faith in something else. Or if you will, we could translate it as loyalty. And so the idea here is not so much that the elder needs to have children who believe in Christ. Although that would be obviously ideal. The idea here is that the elder needs to have children who are faithful to him. And the reason why this is important is because what's being described here is not that the elder has the responsibility to control the hearts of his children. That's a a responsibility that can't be placed on anybody to control the hearts of somebody else. That's impossible. Only God controls the heart of someone through his effectual work of the Holy Spirit. So the idea here is not that that the, the elder needs to control the hearts of his children. Rather, the idea is that the elder needs to control the behavior of the children. And if you think about it, that actually corresponds well to what Paul was talking about in verse 5. Because Paul in verse 5 is all about order. That's the task of church leadership, to maintain order within the church. There's no church leader who can control the hearts of the congregation. It's not Pastor Joey's job to control all of your hearts. He can't do that. Right? That would be a bad deal if you tried to do that, my friend. It ain't going to work. Can't do that. But you know what church officers can do? Is they can control order. In fact, that's what they are called to do. And so just as a father must maintain good order in his house... So that his children are not open to public charges of debauchery and disobedience. So, that is the job of the elder. To maintain good order in the house. Because the whole point of these qualifications here in this passage is about maintaining order. It's about personal qualifications to maintain the order of the church. Now, there's another qualification that I want to focus on here. We've got to drop down to verse 9. So the elder, he goes through this long list of qualifications, right? Selfish, or sorry, not selfish, not quick to anger, nor a lover of wine, nor violent, nor greedy, but positively hospitable, a lover of good, wise, righteous, holy, self-controlled. And then in verse 9, we get to this last major qualification, And he says here that elders are to hold fast to the word which is according to the teaching of the faith so that he may be able even to exhort in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who speak against it. One of the major themes throughout Titus and 2 Timothy as we work our way through it is Paul is going to repeatedly be using these same phrases. Teaching. Sound doctrine. Those phrases and words are going to be repeated over and over and over again. And the reason for that is because as Paul is thinking about the recession of the apostles and how now the church officers are going to need to step in and lead the churches, Paul is zealous to communicate to them the importance of understanding the things of God of understanding the scriptures. They are to hold fast to the word of the teaching of the faith, which is what the apostles taught. 
In shorthand, Paul is saying, hold fast to apostolic doctrine, because this is the doctrine of Christ. This is a task of the elders, particularly. Now, keep in mind, all of these qualifications of the elders that are being described by Paul can apply to every Christian. I don't think there's any, any place in Scripture that would say that Christians don't need to be hospitable or lovers of good or wise or righteous or holding fast to sound doctrine. Obviously, those things are repeated everywhere for all Christians. And this is part of where we see all of our responsibility, that the elder here is being described as a model Christian. Well, that necessarily implies that we all need to be doing these things. We all need to be pursuing what's being described here. But the elder specifically is given the injunction of understanding the things of God. Holding fast to the apostolic faith for two purposes. One purpose is to exhort in sound doctrine. To exhort in sound doctrine. That is to encourage the people with the truth. And then the second reason is a negative one, which is to rebuke those who speak against it. That is to refute error. Now, from experience, I can tell you it's a lot easier to say, just to sort of repeat and say positively what the scripture says, it's actually harder to rebuke errors. But nonetheless, both of those things are called. Both of those things the elder is called to. And you can see that this Last qualification in verse 9 is tying all the way back to the first few verses that we looked at last week. Because you'll notice that for Paul, verse 1, he says that he is a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of the elect of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. You'll notice here that Paul says that when he summarizes his whole mission, his mission is to bring them the knowledge of the truth which leads to godliness. Notice that's also the task of the elder here. That's his job too, is to make sure that the truth is being proclaimed and that false teaching is being rebuked. And the reason for that, and we'll talk more about this in another week, later when we get later in Titus, that is that the elder is receiving much of his responsibility directly from the apostles. And what it seeks to do is show us the importance of the office. And so that leads to a couple of implications for us as the congregation. And I want to close with these really quickly. These are important implications for all of us. Because like I said, number one, all of this applies to us as every Christian. Right? All of us Christians should live up to these qualifications that are being listed. But secondly, another implication is that we need to hold officers to the standard. We need to hold officers to the standard. We need to choose men who meet these criteria. Because we already saw in the other places of Scripture, officers are elected by the congregation. And if officers are elected by the congregation, and if there is a criteria for how, for the kind of people that they should be, then that brings a moral obligation on us as those making the choosing as those doing the electing, that we pay careful attention to the kind of people that God wants to oversee his church. Right? And that means also that we need to pay very careful attention to the way that God wants his church run, too. 
And one of the major principles that we saw for that was in verse 5 about all things being done in order. Right? Because that is what Paul was so zealous to communicate. All right, well, we're going to pick up next week in verse 10. And in that passage, we're going to see how Paul is sort of working out this implication that elders particularly need to be on guard for false teaching. And Paul is going to start to sort of elaborate on some of these false teachings and, and Jewish myths and commandments and so on that are plaguing the Cretan churches. And we're going to see what Paul has to say. Not, again, not just to elders and officers, but also what Paul says to all of the churches. Because all of these injunctions have implications for all of us. And it's important to understand that because, like we talked about in the first week of this series, we want to have a rich doctrine of the church. We do not want to have a deprived doctrine. We want to understand how God's house is to be run. And the only way we can do that is to work our way through these passages in the pastoral epistles. All right? That's the goal. Uh, any quick questions before I wrap it up in prayer this morning? All right, let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for Titus. And Lord, there's so much here to, to digest and to think through. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would work this truth deeply within us. And Lord, that uh, you would work through your spirit and that you would accomplish in us what you want to do. Help us, Lord, to recall these truths to our minds. And pray, Lord, that we would be thoroughly fueled by your spirit now to worship you this morning. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.